As you're making your way back to your seats, I want to just quickly touch on an announcement um, concerning something that happened yesterday. Yesterday, someone impersonating me using an email uh, that should be on the screen there, using that email solicited some financial assistance from one of our elders. If you received an email from that email address, please do not respond. Uh, Don't respond to any email posing to be me asking for money or gift cards. Um, Trinity, our church family, we have a team that actually handles benevolent requests. And anything official for me would be from my church email address, which you can also see on the screen, C at trinitynh.org. If you would, do me a favor and let me know if you did receive this email asking for some help, um, and we will go from there. Um, Just so you know, if you haven't signed up um, to receive sort of the latest updates, church news, spiritual encouragement, and whatnot from me, you can do so on the church's website. Just scroll down a little bit, and uh, there will be an email sign-up button, and you can press that and punch in your email address, and you will receive those things. Uh, For example, last Friday, I sent out a challenge uh, to those um, who have signed up, uh, asking us to, to read this little green book together called the Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. I love that book. Oh, good. Thank you. I did not ask her to say that. Anyway, um, we, we're going to take time in this spring, uh, starting February 28th, to have um, the, the uh, forward and the introduction read, and I'll send out sort of uh, every other Friday a uh, responsive summary with some encouragements and some questions, and then the hope would be that we talk about this together. Uh, that we would get together at lunches or breakfast or coffee or text groups, whatever it might be for your stage of life, that you think through these things and talk together. And so um, if you are not a part of that and want to get in on that, um, please uh, go to the website, sign up for the email, um, and then get one of these books uh, and get started by February 28th. Uh, you can, I have a few in the back uh, at the welcome table, and we'll seek to keep that populated. And you can just drop a few bucks in the offering box. Great. You also find it online, Amazon, uh, also at Nine Marks, um, and some other places. So, great, awesome. And then also, um, as uh, Bob had prayed for us, and on the way out, uh, you can grab one of these. Uh, Bob, one of our elders, uh, leading in our pastoral prayer time this morning, prayed for the Maldives. Uh, we should have a few of these copies in back. Otherwise, I'll send one out tomorrow morning. And you can pray uh, for this uh, as a family or as a couple or just even in your own personal devotions in the week ahead. It's part of our prayer initiative uh, for this year with our global outreach team to just pray uh, and uh, encourage you with that. All right. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. Yeah. Woohoo. We are... Moving now. Colossians is an incredible letter. It's a vision document for the church. It's holding up and holding out to us the sufficiency of Jesus to be everything for us. And as we sort of live out our lives, we find ourselves getting distracted with a number of things. Distracted from Christ. Distracted from Him being sufficient for us in our life individually, but also churches experience that too. So we're going to read about that this morning in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 16 to the end of the chapter. So if you are there, you get to follow along. I'm going to read these words to us this morning. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that, are, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Guys, we come to this odd and peculiar passage this morning. In light of what this church was struggling with, it certainly points to a bigger struggle that the church will always have. And so, God, we pray that we'd find here in your word, uh, words of life, and that you would use these words very powerfully in our hearts, our lives, and our church. We ask You'd be with us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I said God has a purpose for you. And God's purpose for you is to grow in Christ-likeness. I'm going to say that one more time. God has a purpose for you. And that purpose, if you are in Christ, is to grow in Christ-likeness. There's a number of verses that drive this home. Just earlier in Colossians chapter 1, a key verse told us this. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The means of Paul's ministry, his philosophy of ministry is to work and serve in such a way as to present people mature in Christ. So the goal, the purpose is to grow up in Jesus, that more and more Jesus is reflected in your life. Or consider Romans eight twenty eight. It says this, for those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Again, God laying out his purpose for his people is that they would begin to reflect Jesus more. That more and more of Christ would be evident in more and more of your life. Your thoughts, your feelings, your motives, your attitudes, your actions. Or consider 2 Corinthians 3.18. It puts it this way. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we behold Christ through the gospel that we here learn in the word, as we have faith in Christ and behold him in the word, we grow degree by degree, incrementally to reflect that which we behold. And that's going to be true no matter what we behold. We become like that which we behold, that thing that grips our heart, that thing that we treasure, it will begin to be evident in the manner in which we live. And so God's aim for you right now, if you're struggling with what is God's purpose for you, 
Maybe I, maybe I can't answer the particular details for some of the nuances within your life, but I can tell you the big principle picture that God has for you, and that is that you, in whatever the condition of your life is, would begin to reflect more and more of Jesus. God's aim for you is to conform you to Jesus, to shape you to Jesus, to mold you to Jesus. That you would become more and more like what you behold in Christ through the gospel. Degree by degree, day by day, maturing slowly but forward toward and in Jesus. If this is God's purpose, and I would argue for those who are redeemed, whose faith is in Christ, this is God's purpose for you, is to become more like Jesus. If this is God's purpose for you, more of Christ reflected in your life, then how could we get there apart from Christ? If the end game is more of Jesus in your life, and if the ultimate end game is to behold Him no longer by faith, but now with sight, are we going to get to that end some other way? Some way that substitutes Jesus with some other stuff or adds on to Jesus stuff we got to do? Does that seem to add up? I think the church here that Paul is writing to was getting inundated with all sorts of distractions, all sorts of add-ons, all sorts of Jesus isn't quite enough. You need to do this in order to get to the end game. And Paul says, no, what value will that have? None. None. And so the same warning is for us. The same warning is for us. We face distractions to treasuring Jesus. Yes, there are cultural distractions, but the emphasis of this particular letter is the kind of distractions from within that impact our doctrine, the things that we believe, teach, proclaim, encourage one another with, and the manner in which we live together as the church. Those sorts of distractions are on Paul's mind, which is why he's like pouring it all out, laying it all out of how amazing Jesus is. And how when we have Jesus, we have enough. So let's drive in and dig deeply into knowing him. And so that's our hope and aim this morning, because distractions to treasuring Christ seek to give the appearance of something, of something spiritual, but they offer no real, actual hope. They appear to be, oh yeah, we should have this, but they're really nothing. It's a little bit of an issue between what is fake and what is real. And so distractions to treasuring Christ are really a battle between fake and real. And that battle gets played out in two places. We have two paragraphs and we kind of see the dynamic of that being played out in two places. The distractions to treasuring Christ are a battle between fake versus real in what we believe and how we live. In what we believe and in how we live. So let's consider those things together. The outline kind of will be a little bit easy to sort of follow along. Just going to be considering that which is fake and then that which is real. So first as we are looking at in what we believe, how the distractions hit the church In what we believe, we first find the substance and the goal of the fake. And then secondly, we'll consider the substance and the goal of the real. So there you go. Those little sub 
points there for that first point that we're going to consider. The substance and the goal of the fake. Well, notice what we find here in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. So that's uh, one of the struggles here that the church is experiencing from those who have come within with these distractions is that they're judging or, as we'll see later, they're disqualifying. They're, they're on the committee somehow and they're deciding what's what and who's who. So anyway, here we are. Let no one do that. Question of food or drink. With regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow. So first thing that we see about the fake is that the substance is really a shadow. It's really a shadow. The, the Colossian church was getting a combination of distractions. One part was here what we find in these, this food, drink, and festival, new moon, and Sabbath. One part of, the, of this combination was a works righteousness. Maybe you don't know what that means. Works righteousness. That means I got to do X to gain enough sort of merit in the bank that, that God accepts me based on the works that I've accrued over a basically good life. So I've done enough good in the bag that it's going to outweigh the, maybe the bad of my life. And so as long as I keep adding some of the good, so I keep that scale balanced just ever so slightly, leaning toward the good, then I'll be right with God. And if you were here last week, we, we considered the overwhelming, awe-inspiring work of Christ. And what that reveals to us is there is no way we can do ever, ever, ever do enough good to outweigh the real condition of our hearts and our souls and our sin. That it took all that Christ magnificently, most incredibly did just to overcome how awful sin really is. So works righteousness is a little bit of a bait and switch. Keeps you busy. It's, it's busy work. Some of you all in here are students. How, ma- how many of you love busy work? None of you. <laughs> I don't care if you are in public school, private school, home school. You don't like any of your teachers if they give you busy work, Right? Right? No. Busy work just feels like a trick. Oh, you're not really teaching. You're just giving me this work to do. Works righteousness is like that. It's like this stuff that you got to do and do and do and do, but really it matters not because you can't ever do enough. So one of the obstacles of distractions that this Colossian church and us in a way get hit with is this works righteousness that we got to do these things. The other part was this weird cocktail of spiritual mysticism and secret knowledge that in church history later took the form of what is called Gnosticism. It's just as a heresy that sought to distract people from Jesus. It was a sense of like, hey, you got to feel this way and do these kinds of things and I know the secret path to get there. I think we live in a day and age in which that's often the case, right? I think it's every other book that Oprah puts out for you know, Oprah Book Club Month or whatever, is offering some sort of mystical, spiritual, do this in your life is a little bit better kind of a thing. And so they were getting inundated with these two sorts of distractions. But really, what is it? It is a shadow. It's not really anything at all. Paul says they are a shadow. 2.16 says the food, the drink, the festival, the moon, the Sabbath, 
There, all of those things, those words would have been clear words for a Jewish background audience that would have received this letter. They would have been words that would have made them think of their Bible, their Old Testament. And in that Old Testament, it would have all driven them to consider the things of like, you know, the temple worship system. And so these were things that were important, and we can read about them in our Bibles. They, were, they were, had a role. They were doing something. They were helping show the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the need for sort of rescue from that sin, atonement, or a way to be made right so that we could approach God and dwell with God. That's what the Old Testament worship system was doing. It was revealing these things. But they weren't actually securing for us a full, final, forever rest, like restoration from our sin. They were pointing forward to the means by which that would come. So they were shadows. But a shadow is based off of something real. The shadow I see right here, because there's a light behind me on this carpet here in front of me, that's my profile. That's my shadow. But that's not me. I'm up here. The Old Testament is a shadow of the real thing. And the shape and the contours are of the real thing. So I'm not saying the Old Testament is fake. So don't hear that. What I'm saying is relying on us following a regimented set of rules in order to establish enough credit with God to be right with Him is fake. You can't do it. Don't waste your life trying to do that. When Christ gave His life to give it to you. That is the difference between fake and real. Christ is the real thing. Hebrews, the whole letter of Hebrews has proven this point, but particularly Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. I think it will be on the screen. Thank you. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. What is the true form of these realities? Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, who He is in His person and work. And can never, the law, the shadow, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's actually some of the best news you could possibly hear if you are living under the weight and burden of, I have to do this or I won't be right with God. That is a distraction taking you off of your focus from Jesus. Who did do it for you perfectly. He didn't mess up once. He didn't have a bad day. There were no Mondays. So why would we then burden ourselves and chase ourselves after something we could never get? I've never been to a dog track. Sorry, Linda, this isn't in the notes. I've never been to a dog. Have fun with this one. I've never been to a dog track. But I know the gist. These dogs are trained to run as fast as they can, chasing a metal rabbit along a track. And the first dog that gets there wins, and all the betters win or lose, however it goes. But if that dog were to actually catch that metal or ceramic rabbit that runs on that rail, if it were to ever catch it, it could never run again. It would never run 
again. And the reason why? Because it knows it's a fake. Even if you could catch the rabbit of works righteousness, you'll find it's a fraud. It's a fake. You can't do it. And, and just cast your eye up at what Christ did for you in verses 11 through 15. Just read that again. If you feel like I, you have to bring something to the table, read again what Christ has accomplished for you. Don't lose sight of that because it is a very easy distraction for us. And so is the other one that we find in our passage. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism. I'll explain that in a moment. Worship of angels and going on and on and on about visions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous or fleshly sinful mind. So the other sort of distraction, distraction that's nothing but a shadow is this faux spirituality. This fake spirituality that, that has this impact on the manner in which we live. So the, the fake spirituality has an impact on how we live. And that impact on how we live is called asceticism, which is like an act of sacrifice, usually bodily punishment, that gives the appearance of humility and contrition. You sort of beat yourself down, even physically, if you will, to show how sorry you are for your life. And so when you put that together with Worship of angels and the pursuit of vision. You get a picture of what this early church, like heresy, called Gnosticism, was really doing and sort of causing uh, all kinds of problems. And in that, it says that the spirit is good and the material or the physical is bad. That's why you have to beat down the physical because you're trying to build up your spiritual good quotient. So the more you beat yourself up and beat yourself down, the more holier you look. Therefore, you get more credit. Now, you might think, how's that all work? Well, I think that's what we see play out so often in just our culture broadly. You have to, it's still, at the root, a meritorious system, is it not? You're still Doing a very similar thing. That's why these two kind of combine together. You're, you're, you're trying to constrain the way that you live or get rid of some of the bad in your life in order to build up good on this side of the equation. And so here we are. We have this all played out. And now it's gotten a little bit of spiritual juice to it. And that's what's happening to the church. It's getting distracted in what they believe by embracing these other things. And that's the goal. The goal is distraction. And you might be thinking how those two could uh, you know, work together, but they really do combine into a new thing because they share this you do X and therefore gain Y mentality. Both offer a meritorious system. Keep doing these things and you will move up the ranks. But they are nothing but a shadow They're nothing but a shadow. The next time you see your shadow, try to give it a hug. I mean it. The next time you see it, you see it against the wall. It's not Peter Pan. It's not going to move except whatever you do. Try to give it a hug. Enjoy the wall. 
So I want to ask ourselves, how are we getting duped today? In what ways are we getting tricked, distracted by the fake? Well, really, sadly, it's not different today. The particulars may be a little bit different, but we still get duped with this mentality of working our way right with God or some sort of spiritualizing everything around us so that we think we're getting visions or dare I say a word from the Lord from an overactive spiritualized imagination. And I know that I think it's risky to say those things because it could provoke our pride. I am working hard here or I do get all of these sort of feels along the way in my life. So what do I, what do I, what am I saying here? Let me answer another question this way. More instead of like, in what ways are we getting duped? Why are we getting duped? Well, the reason why we get duped with either a works righteousness or an over-spiritualized everything is because we underestimate Christ and we overestimate ourselves. Principally underneath it all, We underestimate how awesome Jesus is and we overestimate our ability or our awesomeness. Now, don't hear me say worth because we are, A, human beings created in the image of God. We're image bearers of God, meaning we are all, every single one of us in this room, carrying with it sort of a divine worth, if you will. We are image bearers of God. That's why life matters, all of it. From womb to tomb, it all matters because all life carries with it image-bearing DNA. But what I mean when I say we overestimate ourselves is that we think We aren't as bad as we are or we're better than we are or that our good is good enough. That's what we do. Now, we're really good at pointing out the bad of others, right? Like we're experts on that. If you don't believe me, just turn on the Internet. We're great at pointing out the bad in others. But really, if we're truly honest if we are admitting here, whatever feeds these distractions, why ever, why ever they grip us, and individually, but also as churches, it's because we underestimate Jesus and we overestimate ourselves. We all have a struggle with self-importance, where we think we are the center of the universe rather than Jesus. And then when something comes along, that provokes those dangers looking in our hearts, we can get duped by what is fake. Because you know what? Life can be incredibly hard and harsh. There can be many things that really distract us or discourage us or dissuade us. And we want something immediate, tangible, really. Instead of pressing into knowing Christ more, we want to find quicker road to get through the heart of life. Whatever the particular distractions the Colossians wrestled with or all the church has wrestled with ever since then, 
underneath all of it is an underestimating of Christ and an overestimating of ourselves. And what we believe, understand who God is, who we are, and then ultimately how we live. Now that's the substance, quote unquote, substance of the fake. Well, there's a substance and a goal of the real. We look back at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then look down at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So first of all, what we find right out of the gate that Paul is stressing to them is that the substance is Christ. So that we are called to cling to the real thing, to hold fast to the head, to believe Jesus. You cannot hug Jesus' shadow, but you can hug him. He is the head. That is, he is over it all. He's giving life and strength and vitality to his body, the church. He is the real thing. And these distractions that sort of come along in the life and and just stage and age of the church offer you what only Christ can give. And that is life. They're offering you this pathway to go But it's a dead end. Whereas Christ is the real thing. And what he offers you then. Is real life. In the midst of the joys. And the sorrows. And the hard. And the harsh. And the hope. In the midst of it all. He's the the real substance. He's the guy. Again. 11 through 15. Shows you what he did. Look back to chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, to see who he is. He is God in the flesh to do for us what we could never do, to overcome what we could never overcome, to give us what we could never gain, to take us to where we could never go. This is the real thing. This is the thing that is to feed our songs and fuel our prayers and inspire our lives to live for his glory. Works, righteousness will never inspire you to live for Christ's glory. Over-spiritualized soup that is our culture will never inspire you to live for Christ's glory while you sit next to your spouse dying of cancer. But you know Christ will Because he is the author and giver of life. And he will see you, stay you, all the way through. And he will welcome you on the other side of a golden shore. And a human hand will bring you into glory. Because Christ lived, died, and rose again, ascended, and reigns, and rules. And one day will return. He is the real thing, church. And he is life. In that life, the goal of it is a nourished life. Look at what Christ gives. A nourished, knit together through joints and ligaments, growing with the growth that is from God kind of life. This is what Christ gives. Something that is connected and growing and getting stronger 
That is the real thing. That is God's purpose for you. That is God's goal for you. And the only means to get there is through the means that he has provided and he has provided so richly for us in Jesus. That's what we have. Compare that with Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. I think that will be up there. Maybe not. There it is. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What an incredible picture of the church that is following after Jesus. He is the source of our life and strength. He's how we grow. Let's keep our head on our shoulders. How many of you parents have said that to your teenager? You keep your head on your shoulder. Say, go out into life. Church, we need to keep our head on our shoulders. This is our means of life and strength. So how do we hold fast? How do we then hold fast? Well, we start by believing that the person and work of Jesus Christ is the apex, the climax of God's purposes in history. We believe and we hold tightly to the fact that Jesus is the summation, consummation, the whole thing of what the Bible is leading us to see. That in fact, when we see Jesus as the apex of the Bible, then we therefore understand the Bible in a far greater way. So we start there. We see that God is holy and righteous and true. That there isn't anything in him that is wrong or fault-finding. Like he is holy above all other things. But we, created in his image, though given the opportunity to worship him or worship something else, our original parents failed and worshiped something else. And in so doing, brought about sin. Sin that has infected all of us. No mask, no gloves will keep us safe from the infection of sin. It will be in all of our DNA. And it has been through the whole of time. And that sin has separated us from God. It has put us in opposition to God. We are at enmity with God. Because we have rejected Him. We have rebelled against Him. We said that He is not enough. We need something else. And so that puts us in opposition to God. But God doesn't just simply squash us as a rebel army. No, He sends His Son, Jesus, to take on all that we failed at. Jesus takes on our humanity and lives a life that we could not ever live. He then takes that perfect life that has no sin and he lays it down as a payment for all of our sin. And that life was so incredibly rich. It was backed by the treasures of heaven, if you will. The righteousness of God that when it was laid down on the cross, paid in full all of God's people's sin for all time. Not just some, but all. Not just for a few, but for all of God's people. And then, as if that weren't enough, those same rebels get to hear this incredible good news. And in responding to the good news, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ, are now saved. They go from rebel to then son and daughter. They go from wandering orphan in this world to one who is treasured and and loved and welcomed into the household of God. That incredible gospel. 
is told and revealed to us through these huge, incredible things in the pages of history that God created. And he created us with the purpose to know him and to worship him. And that in the midst of that creation, the fall, the introduction of sin came and brought wreckage. And through the person and work of Christ, redemption comes to overcome the wreckage that will then one day lead to this glorious restoration where there will be no more hint or shadow or stain or shame of sin anywhere. Why do I say all of that? How do we hold fast? We don't forget how primary all that I just said so very quickly is to our faith. That it is the main thing. It is the main thing. And that this main thing comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So how do we fold fast? We believe these things and cling to these things and know these things. And and then we go on singing these things and praying these things and preaching these things and teaching these things and equipping each other to do these things. We say these things. We share these things. We cultivate these things in the life of our church. How we don't forget. That's how we hold fast. We see this as life-giving to the ministry of the church. And then that informs the second part of the ways in which we see this as a distraction to the church. So it distracts us in how and what we believe. And then secondly, the distractions come to impact how we live. Now, second paragraph, if with Christ you've died, if you are united to Christ through faith, if you trust in Christ for salvation, that means you have died with Christ. That, that means you have entered into what Christ has done for you. So his life, his death, his resurrection, and one day his return all mean everything to you. If, you, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why are you living as if you still belong to them? Why do you live as if those are still going to be the means by which you get to grow up in knowing Jesus? And so we find in the how you live, how we live, the value and relevance of the fake and the value and the relevance of the real. Well, the, the answers are, are fairly easy. By this point in the passage, you should be able to to know what the value and irrelevance of the fake is. It's zero. And you should be able to know and see from this passage and hopefully from this letter, the value and the relevance of Christ is everything. Like you can just jot those down. The value and relevance of the fake is zero. The value is empty. If you are in Christ, you have died to the fake. So don't use fake methods to try to accomplish real growth. They are unable to provide what is needed. To live in such a way that denies the sufficiency of Jesus as an individual or as a church is to have a wasted investment. There will be no return in all that you give to that. Just burden, guilt, shame, and loss. It is a wasted investment. It cannot give to you what you hope. And the daily relevance of such a thing is there is none. The very last part of verse 23. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And what does the Apostle Paul mean here? Well, he's talking about our real problem is in our heart. And in our heart is the problem of sin. Sin is rejecting and rebelling against God. His character, his works, his words, his ways. And we do this in thought 
attitude, affection, and actions. And in the person and work of Christ, Christ paid the penalty of our sin and broke the power of sin over us. And because Christ has done these things, he is our only means of fighting the presence of sin in our lives now. Meaning if Jesus paid it all and broke the power, then is he not enough to fight the presence of sin now? If we try to fight sin with something that didn't pay for the penalty or break the power, then we're fighting sin with something entirely too weak to handle the task. You fight sin with what beats sin, and that's Jesus. So the daily relevance of clinging to something fake, like trusting you building up more good in your, on the scale here, or, or trying to over-spiritualize everything, is asking these things that are totally empty to give to you something they have not in their own possession. But Christ does. You know why? Because he paid for sin, he paid it in full. And he broke the power of sin over you when he lived, died, and rose again. And he reigns and rules over your life right now. And one day he will return. That is your means by which you fight sin. That stuff that lingers around in your heart, those thoughts that you have. Those things that you struggle with. Those habits that seem to just entangle you. The anger or the bitterness that just sort of always has that low-grade operating buzz in your head and your heart. The way that you look at other people that are different than you. The things that you just, that just sort of rise up when your pride is provoked. All of that stuff that we experience, and that's probably before we even get out these doors. All of that stuff. You realize, like, only Christ overcame that. Therefore, only Christ is daily relevant to overcome that in your life now. I want to say something real quick. A word to those who feel like they've been distracted for a long time. Some of us may look at our lives and be embarrassed by the fact that we've tried everything but clinging to Jesus. We feel regret, anger, shame, and may feel like it's too much for us to overcome. That we look at our lives and we see a bunch of wasted years of going through church motions and chasing after signs and symbols. If that is your story, I am so sorry that has been the case. But I have good news for you. It doesn't have to be the case today and tomorrow and however many tomorrows you have. No. Jesus said these most incredible words to the, a group of people who were weary, worn down, beaten down by chasing other means in order to be right with God. They were suffering under the burden of a law they could not keep. And the words that he says to them are words that he says to you who feel that similar pain today. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To you who feel as if there have been many wasted years, Christ calls forward, come to me, 
you who are burdened and weary, and you will find real substantive rest for your souls. And from here you can go forward knowing that you belong to him and that he has carried the burden for you and he will fight and strengthen you to live out your life following after him. That he won't leave you out in the cold. That he will supply what you need in the midst of your life. That makes his, his value overwhelming and his relevance daily. Belonging to Christ means you have all that you need for this life. And the daily relevance is this. There is actual transformation. Look again at the end of 23. If you were to embrace and hold on to these faux means of growing up and knowing God, you'll find that they will have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. But if you embrace Christ, the inverse of that is true. What you will find is daily relevance, daily value, and stopping the struggles and war that wages in your heart. How else can we grow up in Christ if not by Christ himself at work in his people through the power of his spirit as we follow after our head? If God's purpose for us is Christ, then it is by knowing Christ that we grow up in that purpose. If you've been distracted by shadows, come to the real thing. Come to Jesus. He will not turn you away or scold you for your distraction. He will give you grace and mercy in your time of need. If you have been idle in your faith, not growing up in Christ, take the warnings of this passage seriously. Seek to know Jesus from the pages of Scripture. All of them are bound by Him. They all have Him on their page. And to all of us, let us be a church family that clings to the real thing. And as we do, let's watch and wonder and in awe of what he can and will do in and through us. To his glory, to our good, and to the salvation of those who are far from him now. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that. Help us to not be a distracted sort, but rather to have our heads and hearts fixed on the one who rules and reigns and has redeemed and will one day return. God, pray that you would help us to see how the distractions can so easily entangle us and divert us from Christ. And may we be a people that know in increasing measure the richness and the worth and the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.